When you were 16, what did you dream was your destiny? What did you dream? This is going to be what, how I'm going to change the world. Maybe some of you aren't 16 yet, and so you go, man, what am I going to be when I grow up? I'm going to be an astronaut. If we're honest, a lot of kids are like, I want to be a YouTube star. Let's just be honest. That's the world we live in now. I want to be famous. I want to be a singer. I want to be a, a farmer. I want to be a, a doctor. But for those of you that are a little older than that, what did you dream about when you were 16? I've recently realized that I am uh, now older than the soccer stars, and I just never have a hope of reaching that point. When Winston Churchill was 16 years old, he told several of his friends, he told them that he knew what his destiny would be, and he said, London will be in danger, and from the place that I am in, it will fall to me to save the capital and save the empire. He was 16 years old, and later he actually, in World War I, saved the empire, and when he was during later in World War II, then it really did fall to him to save the capital and save the empire. He told that to several people, so those people later were able to say, yeah, I heard it, I was 16. And, and he said he would one day save the capital and save the empire. So my question today is, what do we dream about when we think about destiny? In the church, when we talk about destiny, we usually mean, what happens after I die? Some of you go, I don't I'm too old for destiny. I'm 65, I'm 70, I'm 82. What, but, but what did God put us here for? What is that destiny that he has put out there for each one of us? Maybe you just go, hey, I, just, I don't really care about destiny. I just want to pay my bills. I want to do my stuff. I want to plant my garden in the spring. I want to enjoy the winter and not have to shovel too much snow. Don't talk to me about destiny. Maybe some of you go, man, the thing that burns me up inside is I feel like I was made, meant for more than this. I thought my purpose would be more than just making a paycheck and making it through and trying to hold on for dear life. What, what is it that I was made to do? Today we're going to start it. We're starting a series called Destin because we're looking, leading up to Easter, at the, the, what Jesus' destiny was and what he has to say about our destiny wrapped up in that. The book of Matthew is all about that. Jesus' destiny, really in Mark, Luke, and Matthew, Jesus' destiny begins on one weekend. And that's what we're going to be getting ready for. We're starting this series called Destin. So go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew was written for Jewish Christians. So Mark seems to be the earliest gospel. It's kind of bare bones from Peter's perspective. It's all action. It says Jesus went there and did this, and Jesus went there and did that, and Jesus went there and did that. Matthew, it's a little bit slower. It's a little bit more intellectual, and it's a, it's a lot more like, let me explain how Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for so long for. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to be in verses 17 to 46 today. If you don't have your Bible, you can grab a Bible from the seat back in front of you, or you can follow along if your arms are full. We've got the verses here on the screen. We're going to begin in verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, 
Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray Him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Your destiny secures our destiny, that You have both freed us from sin and that You have also set something before each one of us. Help us to see that today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Begin Here in scene one, the disciples say, where are we going to celebrate Passover? Passover is that great weekend of the Jewish calendar, and so they, we, we have to celebrate Passover. And so Jesus, I, I really love the detail. He says, go into the city to a certain man, which sounds weird. What do you mean certain man? Jesus told them the guy's name, but it's not really relevant here to the, the Bible, and so they, they don't, it just says to a certain man, just a guy that we knew, but so the teacher said, my appointed time is near, I'm going to celebrate the Passover. So the disciples go and they set everything up, and while they were there eating the Passover meal, Jesus identifies that I'm going to be betrayed. This, this story is, this scene is setting it up, letting us know somebody here is going to betray Jesus. And to you and I, it sounds bad, but we, don't, we wouldn't really understand because eating a meal together and betraying somebody doesn't seem to be connected. But at the time and in that culture, the eating a meal with somebody was a way of saying, I am your friend and I will protect you and I will not harm you. And so in that moment, he, Judas is saying, I will not harm you, while at the same time, he was seeking to harm Jesus. So it's not just, well, one day he's going to turn on Jesus. No, he was telling Jesus one thing, and he was telling the disciples one thing, while actually actively working to do something else. Each one of the disciples is like, surely not me, expecting, no, I can't be the one to do that. And Judas chimes in. So surely not me, fitting himself in with the disciples, saying the same things that they say while seeking to do the very opposite. Jesus tells him, you have said so. So scene one sets us up. We've got a betrayer. Scene two moves into the supper portion. Verse 26 says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and while he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Here is what we call the Last Supper. This is where Jesus, in this, during this Passover meal, takes the bread and says, this is my body. And then he takes, says, take this cup. This is my blood. Then he unpacks that, giving them the meaning of this. And he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here in this moment, 
This isn't just the same kind of Passover meal that they always celebrated. You see, the original Passover was what Israel celebrated in Egypt when God was promising, tomorrow I'm going to deliver you. Tomorrow I'm going to deliver you. And so ever since, they would celebrate that same meal, remembering God once delivered the people of Israel and he promises to deliver his people again. But in this moment, Jesus takes that and says, we're not actually just pointing backwards to an old covenant. We're actually moving forward into a new one. You see, the original Passover was saying, deliverance is coming tomorrow. And in this moment, Jesus is saying, deliverance is coming tomorrow. My blood is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is a new Passover. This is a new covenant. This covenant, which we could spend weeks and months unpacking what a covenant was, but ultimately it was a great king and a lesser people binding themselves to seek the good of the other forever. One of the ways that most covenants were, were enacted is God would say, in the Bible, God would say, I will be your God and you will be my people. And in this moment, Jesus is using a meal and saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is a new covenant in my blood. So we have a betrayer, Judas. Now we have a lamb, Jesus, being poured out in a new sacrifice. Verse 31 tells us, now we have some deniers. Verse 31 says, Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. If you've been around the church for very long, Peter is well known for denying Jesus. Peter is the one that denied Jesus. But here it says that Jesus said, all of you, all of you are going to fall away. Not just Peter. And Peter says, but even if all of them fall away, I'm not going to fall away. So then Jesus heightens the tension. First he said, all of you guys are going to fall away. And then Jesus says, no, Peter, you're not just going to fall away. You're going to say you didn't even know me. Peter says, I will never do that. And Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times. And Jesus says, I will never, or Peter says, I will never do that. And all of the other disciples say the same thing. So if we're going to say that Peter denied and was a traitor towards Jesus, we've got, we say that because we've got more details about Peter. But the rest of the disciples joined in. All of them were there. All of them were falling away. All of them were denying. And so we have a betrayer. We now have a sacrificial lamb. And now we have a group of deniers. Verse 36 gives us the final scene where Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. 
But he came back. He again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And so in this final scene, Jesus goes to prepare. In, in this moment, it says that my, my heart is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Will you guys keep watch and pray? The disciples can't do it. They're just an arm's length away. They hear some of that stuff, but they fall asleep. And so in this moment of anguish, Jesus is absolutely alone. Disciples are going to fall away. They're going to deny. They're going to betray Jesus is in anguish, and then here he is alone with his Father, committing himself, this is the course of action I will take. This is it. Father, let this cup pass from me, but if it can't, I'm going to do this. And so the scene ends with Jesus saying, rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Jesus doesn't turn around. Instead, Jesus is totally committed, totally prepared. This is my destiny, and I'm not going to turn away from it. So we have a betrayer, we have a lamb, we have a group of deniers, and we have an absolutely alone, in anguish, committed Jesus in this moment. And so what I want to show you today is I want to, I want to show you three applications from this story. And first, you cannot change the cross from its central place. You cannot change the cross from its central place. You see, in this moment, Jesus is preparing himself and his disciples and he's keeping before himself and them, I'm going to be totally alone. I'm going to be totally rejected. This is my destiny and I cannot and will not turn away from it. And so we cannot move this. There's so many temptations from outside the church, from outside the Christian world, but also from inside the church to say, can't we emphasize all the other parts of the Gospels? There's so many other great things. And to that I say, amen. But Jesus makes this central and says, it is written this way, and so it has to happen that way. And so the call to us is, will we keep this central? Jesus needs his disciples to know it is written that this has to happen. Matthew wants the Jewish Christians to know it has to happen this way. And so we have to say, okay, this is it. This is the very middle. And Jesus says, I am pouring out my blood so that you can be forgiven from your sins. There are lots of great parts of Christianity. There are lots of great parts about Christianity. But the very central thing is that Jesus pours his blood out because we have to be released from sin. There is no good news. There is no wisdom. There is no anything else if we move this from its central place. Jesus is totally committed at this point. He says, it is written, surely this has to happen this way. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. There's a famous theologian. He was a missionary and he was a doctor. and He, was a, he wrote that, that Jesus was this great revolutionary that believed he was God and wanted to change the course of history. And so when it came down to it, he threw himself on the wheel of history saying, stop. And then in this moment, it crushed him. Because he actually wasn't God. He was just insane. This guy, that guy's got it totally wrong. To think that Jesus thought he was God, but didn't really intend to die in this way is totally wrong. 
Jesus is absolutely in control of his destiny here. Not getting crushed by the wheel of destiny, by the wheel of history. Jesus is going to his own death with his face set towards it. He says, rise, let us go. And so we have to keep this as the central place in Christianity. I had a professor in college who would regularly share a, a paper that a student had given him one time. And he would put it up. This was, we had computers, but he was using a little uh, transparency, if you remember those. And he would put her paper up on, I think he blacked out her name. I didn't know who she was, but she'd written the entire first page. And it, she was trying to say something about the Holy Spirit, but her left hand got moved over on the keyboard. And so because of the way Holy Spirit looks and whatever she was saying in that first paragraph or first page, it came out and made sense, except every time she tried to say Holy Spirit, she would say Holy Deputy. So this paper makes no sense. Gets a roarous laugh in every class that he would cheer it in. He would go to conferences and he would introduce his talk with this because professors have seen papers like that where people just don't proofread, they don't spell check, they're not paying attention. And But her left hand was at the wrong space on the keyboard, and so everything she wrote about the Holy Spirit made no sense. My point is that here in this passage, we have to have our hands in the keys at the right spot. Jesus' death and resurrection are the central part of Christianity for the release of our sins. And if we don't have that right, the paper doesn't make any sense. Our lives make no sense. There is nothing out there. There is no good news for us to share with Belgium, with Wisconsin, with the world. We have no good news if we don't have Jesus and his cross in its central place for the forgiveness of sins. And then for you, like your life is not going to make any sense if Jesus is not, Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross are not in its central place. Being moral is not good enough. We have to be released from our sins, whether we are young or old. This is, this is the central issue of Christianity. We need release from our sins, and you can be released from your sins. And you can know for sure, you can know for sure that you're released from your sins. Because the Bible says that though God is judging each one of us, God will judge each one of us for turning away from him in rebellion, that all who repent of sin and turning and taking Jesus only can be released from their sins, whether they've fallen away and denied like Peter or not. So what will you do with the cross? The second application from this story is it is a call to find your identity at Jesus' table. Find your identity at Jesus' table. There's so many identities that you're told to put on. You are the person that you're married to. You're the job that you have. You're the test scores at school. You're the, the, the talents that you have. You're what your group of friends say you are. So many identities that we could put on. But here in this moment, we're called to... In, find our identity at Jesus' table because that's what Passover was about. The original Passover was God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. Come and eat from this table. And the people marked themselves year after year. We are God's people and he is our God and one day he will deliver us. And so here in this moment, Jesus is inviting his disciples to eat the bread and drink the cup and saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. This has nothing to do with what they do. This has nothing to do with what the disciples are going to do in the coming days. Jesus is inviting them to find their identity at that table. 
That's what makes Judas' betrayal so despicable, is he identifies himself with Jesus. And then he uses it against Jesus. And so here in this, in this moment, we are called, will we find our identity not in what we do or what we have or what people think, but will we find our identity at Jesus' table as he is binding himself to us? Gleason Archer said this, this moment, this right here, signifies that God unreservedly gives himself to his people and that they in turn give themselves to him and belong to him. Thus, they are his peculiar treasure. Let me read that again. This signifies that God unreservedly gives himself to his people, body and soul, and that they in turn give themselves to him and belong to him. Thus, they are his peculiar treasure. And so the Lord's table that we're going to take in a a few moments is a call where we find our identity, where he's giving himself to us and we're giving ourselves to him and saying, God, we are peculiar, but we are your treasure. Not for the things that we've done, but because you've set your heart on us. And so if you're a teenager, where everything in your life is measured, test scores, height, weight, likes on social media, you're measured by what everybody else thinks and the college that you get into and the job that you're going to get, this calls you to say, you actually can have an identity that's better, that comes from a table, that doesn't come from the ways that you measure. Maybe you're a, a young mom and you go, maybe, maybe my life is measured by how happy my kids are, how good of pictures I can take so that it looks like my life is put together and so that everybody else can be impressed. I'll get my identity from being a, a good mom and a good wife, be a good worker. You're actually invited to come and get an identity at Jesus' table that doesn't depend on anything that you do. This is received, not earned. Maybe you're, maybe you're a grown man and you, you are, are like, oh, I grew up without a dad or I grew up with an abusive dad. I, I, I don't know where I would get my identity. I've been chasing it my whole life. Right here, you are invited to get your identity at Jesus' table. As he says, you will be my treasure. The third application I want to show you from this passage is find your destiny at Jesus' resurrection. Find your destiny at Jesus' resurrection. This is what's so crazy here. Like Jesus says, this is my destiny. I am going to die. Then he says, meet me in Galilee. You guys are going to fall away. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus is making plans. Because he knows that even though he's going to die, his destiny does not end in a grave. And so the guys that he's just told, you're going to fall away. Peter, you're actually going to deny. Actually, all of you guys are going to deny. Jesus says, you guys can meet me in Galilee. Because my destiny is not going to end at the cross and in a grave. So what we find is that denying doesn't disqualify Peter from a destiny with Jesus. Falling away and... Falling away and denying doesn't disqualify any of the disciples because Jesus says, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. I've got plans. We've got things to do, guys. And so, to you, your past does not disqualify you from a destiny. No divorce. No broken heart. No failed business. No lack of gifting. None of that disqualifies you from a destiny with Jesus. 
Not only does he invite them to meet him in Galilee, but when he'd offered up his body and when he'd offered up his blood, he said, I'm going to drink this. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to drink this cup again until I drink the fruit of the vine with you in the kingdom. And so what we find here is that Jesus is making plans to go with them into Galilee. He's making plans to drink that cup with them again. But more than just plans, Jesus is saying, my destiny is relational with you. I'm not just inviting you to come and join a group of people that are going to make a difference. I actually want to see you there. And I want to drink a cup with you over a meal with you. You see, so often I think about heaven as a place like the greatest, biggest stadium you can imagine and everybody's attention is focused in one direction and I'm just one person in the crowd and Jesus blows that up here. Because he says, I'm going to drink the cup with you again. No one's going to be lost in the crowd one day. You're not just going to be another person out there. Jesus wants to drink a cup with you one day. And so your destiny is both relational and personal. Jesus wants you, and He isn't going to forget you. And He's not going to miss you along the way. So the call of this passage is, will you find your identity at Jesus' table and your destiny at His resurrection? Maybe you're like me and you're like, that's inspiring, but so often the cross gets misplaced in my heart and other things like money and power and success crowded out. Where's the good news for somebody like me? So often I find my identity based on what other people think about me. Where's the good news for me? So often I find my destiny in dreams that I've always had. Where's the good news for somebody like me that limps along with my attention and my identity and my destiny in the wrong place? The good news is that the Gospel says that Jesus releases us from those things. Jesus who never misplaced the Father in His priorities. Jesus who never got His identity from what other people thought, but just from God. Jesus who always saw His destiny in terms of the work that His Father had given Him. He is the one that died cursed, and outside the city, in your place and in my place. So this is an invitation to find our identity and our destiny there, and it doesn't condemn us because Jesus was condemned for this in our place. You go, Joe, how can I know for sure? How can I know for sure? This sounds like too good a news. The story of the Bible is that God made the world and He made it good. He looked out on it and He... He looked out on it and he said, it is the humans and they're very good. But Adam and Eve said, we will not be your uh, little kings under you. We want our own kingdoms. We will reject you. We want our own place. And so the story of the Bible is people trying to find a kingdom and build a kingdom for themselves. God promised that he would one day judge all of us for setting up our own kingdoms, for living our own way, young and old. But instead of leaving us there, and instead of telling us just do better, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die so that all who embrace Jesus, rejecting sin and embracing Jesus only, will be forgiven of sin, welcomed into the kingdom, given an identity from Jesus' table and a destiny with Him forever. So imagine what that does in our community. Maybe just imagine what that does in your life. Instead of chasing an identity that comes from success, 
Instead of chasing an identity that's better than all of those disappointments, those rejections that you faced, what if you had a secure identity day after day eating from Jesus' table? What would that change in your life? You're not just called to buck up and do better. You go, oh, I have an identity that I did not earn and cannot be taken away. Maybe you go, I want my life to mean something. I want my last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, my last six months. I want want my life to mean something. Imagine what it would be like to find a destiny with a living Lord that wants you to drink a cup with you. Imagine what it would be like for Belgium, for Port Washington, for Random Lake, for Fredonia, for Oosburg, for Cedar Grove for all of Wisconsin, for the whole world to have a group of people saying our identity comes from His table and our destiny is with Him forever. Let's pray. God, we love You. We thank You that You offer us an identity we cannot earn and You give us a destiny that's better than we could ever imagine. Help this sink deeply down into our hearts, young and old. In Jesus' name, amen.